This episode of the Vergecast is brought to you by IBM. 16 million new collar jobs, which is a term that IBM has written here. New collar jobs will be created by 2024. To help fill them, IBM's new education model gives high school students workplace experience and an associate's degree. 90 P-Tech schools are already preparing graduates for tomorrow's STEM careers. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com slash P-Tech. Hello, and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of this and all podcast networks. Mm-hmm. This network, of course, being the Box Media Podcast Network. Mm-hmm. By the way, there's been no follow-up from our CEO, Jim Bankoff, or Ezra Klein to the fact that I, I said that this was the flagship podcast at South by Southwest. Uh, is, has he ghosted you? I heard about ghosting. Why did you push that button? <laughs> it was a real thing. Uh, anyway. I think there was no follow-up because they accepted our dominance there or because- go. We are, it's so ridiculous that we would be the flagship that they don't even need to bother addressing it. I believe that they are preparing counter-assault. Let's be okay. honest. Yeah, I think they're picking and choosing their battles. Yeah. Anyway, I'm here. I'm Neli. Paul is here. Hey, Neli. There's Dieter. Hello. And you heard Lauren Good. Hey, Lauren. Hi. So I, I have some news for the VergeCast audience. Lauren, this is your... I'm just, he'll probably be on the show again. But this is Lauren's last episode of the VergeCast as a member of the Verge staff because she is deserting us to go to Wired. Lauren, does does Wired have a podcast network? <laughs> Wired um, does, n- I don't know if you would call it a podcast network, but they do have a podcast. The gear team specifically, Michael Calori and Ariel Pardes. It's fun. And I look forward to being on that and maybe working on some other new projects too. Hmm. So, but you know, I am going to miss this. I'm going to miss the Vox Media Podcast Network of which yeah. I've been a part for a while, and I'm going to miss the Vergecast. Um, you know, when David Pierce left us to go to Wired, this is a true story. We dressed him up like a pirate. <laughs> so really? you know, this is a very gentle exit for you. Yeah, they had a different editor-in-chief at the time. Nick Thompson's the new editor of Wired. He's really good. Wired's really good. We're very excited for Warren. But when David left, it was a different editor-in-chief, and he had just released a memo about their new office. Mm. Uh, uh, exhorting the staff to keep it clean. And one of the lines he used was, this is not a pirate ship. Uh, and so we sent David to wire dressed as a pirate. It <laughs> only seemed appropriate. Um, but anyway, Lauren, congratulations. We're very excited for your new gig. And we're very excited um, for you know all of our competitiveness in the future. And Thank for, you. And for I, you. I, too, am excited to become your mortal enemy, as you put on the Twitters. Yeah. Uh, it is bittersweet leaving you guys, though. Thank look you for the congratulations. When you have I look forward to being trolled this entire podcast. Oh, it's going to be. It's not going to be great for you. <laughs> anyway, Lauren, one of the last things you did with us. Uh, this is a packed show, by the way. Um, Lauren's here with us now. She's going to stay on the whole show. Uh, Russell Brandon is going to join us uh, for the second segment. Talk about uh, privacy in Europe, which is like a huge deal, especially with the Facebook thing. And then Tom Warren is going to join us uh, for the third segment to talk about what has happening at Microsoft, which is a huge reorg today. But the news of the week, the big news, one of Lauren's last things uh, that she did with us and uh, Dieter and Dan uh, was you went to a Big Apple event in Chicago, one of my fake hometowns, mm-hmm. and you, yeah. you saw some new iPads. So Apple hosted an education-focused event in Chicago. So a lot of the tech press, including us, flew out there. Apple did not provide a live stream for this event, which I think was for a few reasons. One is that they couldn't really control the venue because it was literally at a high school, Lane Tech High School. Um, And so when you can't control the venue, you can't control the lighting and the streaming quality and all that stuff. But I also think it was part of a grander ploy to get um, 
the tech press to come out to Chicago for this event and be there in person. And as expected, we did see a newer iPad that is uh, aimed at the education market, although consumers can get it too. And then other than that, it was a lot of, it was a pretty focused event. Like it wasn't, you know, sometimes we go to these things and there are four or five new products or pieces of software that we really like have to cover every piece of. And in this case, it really was just like, here's an iPad for education and here's our new and slightly improved suite of education focused apps and and a couple new apps too. I mean, that's like, that was sort of, yeah. we can we can go into the weeds more about this, but that's the overview. There was new versions of iWork. There was the new iPad. Mm-hmm. There was a new program to teach people to like build curriculum around creativity, teach people to use their apps to do stuff. And then it was like a lot of, by the way, we do this, by the way, we, we do that, by the way, multi-user exists, by the way, the classroom software exists, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So when you say a new iPad, let's start with the, the new hardware product because the, the software stuff is arguably much more interesting. So we should spend more time on that. But let's start with the new product. You said a new iPad for education, but that's not really it. They just put out an updated version of the iPad that exists. And now it has a faster processor and supports the Apple Pencil, which last week on this show, we were like, that's the minimum thing they could do. And we had all these wild ideas about other stuff they could do. They had so many dreams. And they didn't do any of them. But like, that's really all that new iPad is, right? It's got the faster processor, but it has the same screen, has the same air gap. It doesn't have ProMotion. It doesn't have, I I don't think it has True Tone. Um, it's the same price. It has the same RAM, according to uh, Serenity Caldwell over at iMore. So that means that it can't do three live apps at the same time on the screen. It can only handle two. And then if you do a slide over, the other two like freeze in the background a little bit. So yeah, it's just like it supports the Apple Pencil. And it also uh, oddly supports a new crayon that uh, Logitech, Logi, Logi, Logi. I don't even know Logi. what their it's name is anymore. Logi. Logitech. No, anyway, they make it that's fifty bucks, is, but only students can buy it. So, the, and that stuff is wild to me because a Apple didn't make it themselves, mm, yeah, which is wacky, uh, and the keyboard case, which is Logitech has been making a keyboard case like this for some time, but the keyboard case basically turns the iPad into a Surface. It's got a kickstand. It flips down a keyboard. The keyboard detaches. Dieter, you were saying that it contains its own like smart connector. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I don't know if I'd call it a smart connector. Uh, it has pogo pins, which is <laughs> a magnet, which does it. And like the the deal there is actually, Neil, this will fascinate you. Part of the reason that it's important that Logitech makes this keyboard is that it has a physical connection. It you know that those pogo pins connect to the lightning adapter, and therefore it is not a Bluetooth keyboard, and therefore it is likely more likely to pass muster as a device that can be used on standardized tests. Yeah, this is true. So this is like a fascinating thing that happens every year, and the story goes around every year. Um, standardized tests, the SAT, LSAT, what have you. They ban, like, surfaces are often banned from these uh, things because people bring Bluetooth keyboards. iPads have been banned from them. But this does, the iPad itself does not have a smart connector. You you put it no. into the case, mm-hmm. and the case attaches via lightning, and then the case has a little pogo pin connector and its right. own lightning connector. And, yeah, that, and that's how it connects to the keyboard. Yeah. That is the hackiest hack in the world, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's super, why, why don't it's they It's also just, extra. It's extra money. It's yeah. a hundred. It's a hundred dollars, and then the Logi Cran is fifty. So once you start looking at even even with the student discount or teacher discount, where this ends up being two hundred ninety nine dollars, once you start adding that on those accessories, you're still pushing um, four fifty or higher. Yep. Um, 
it's funny. We're talking more about these Logitech accessories than we are the device itself, which is amazing. <laughs> but I, I, I just want to point out that the crayon, to me, is better designed than the Apple Pencil. Really? It not, not only is it cheaper, but it doesn't roll off a table. It doesn't have a cap that you lose. It just has a little rubber grommet that covers it. And it doesn't have all the doesn't support all the same things that uh, the pencil supports in terms of pressure sensitivity, but it also it doesn't use Bluetooth. It uses some other mysterious way to communicate, but it has the exact same latency and it, ha it can also support angle. And so as like a th thing that's elegantly designed for actual use by actual humans and not a thing that's designed to look pretty, it is a better designed object than the Apple Pencil. How how long is it compared to the Pencil? Because I find the Pencil... Oh, it's shorter. Yeah, it's shorter. Yeah. And like it's a, just flatter in like design. A lot, it's like a... A lot shorter? Uh, yeah, like two-thirds, I, I guess. in front of us, yeah. but yeah. I didn't put a Pencil next to yeah. it. But you it also has the, an on-off button, too. I forgot to mention oh, that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, but you know how the Pencil from 53 was like, fl like flat-edged? Mm. Like it was not rounded like a yellow Pencil, but... I don't know, just made it nicer to grip. There's like a very nice grip to this Logitech crayon. That's crayon. Great news. Crayon. But How do you say crayon? Do you say crayon or do you say crayon? Crayon. Now that you made me think like about cranberry? it, I'm not going like to be able to do it. Like crayon or crayon? Crayon. So the other thing that happened, I mean, they, they announced this other software, but then instead of like the standard hands-on area where everybody mobs, they had... Uh, classrooms, literal labs set up where like people were showing off stuff. So I could talk to a woman from a textbook company that showed the AR that is like tied to their textbook. So like first graders can like put a baby elephant on the thing and learn what where baby elephants live or whatever. Uh, but I didn't get to hang out there for super long, but you got to hang out and, and you, you saw Tim Cook, Lauren? I saw Tim Cook. I saw him coding some stuff on Whoa. Swift on an iPad. He was coding a Sphero ball and okay. had to like roll around this physical track. So after the event, we were shepherded into these areas that felt very much, one was like a lab, a school lab, and the other felt like a garage space transformed into this, I don't know, make stuff with music and draw like a, a, a stuff for anatomy class. Just like it was all average normal high school. Creative. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were literally walking down high school hallways, very long high school hallways, I might add. Uh, and, you know, surrounded by like lockers and, and there were like people, kids who had decorated their lockers with like wallpaper for someone's birthday and stuff like that. It was like really, I don't know, it was kind of fun. So Wasn't anyway, this on a so Tuesday? We, Where were the children? Yeah. They, they were on spring break. Spring break. Uh, yeah. Uh, but there were a lot of students and teachers in the audience, not just from Lane Tech, but from other schools and other schools around the country. Apparently people had, had come in for this. Um, in fact, I was sitting next to two student journalists from a, from a neighboring high school. Did you and inspire then, them? I mean, did I personally inspire them? Did you tell them know. the future was, was your new print magazine? By them. Yeah, I said, have you guys ever heard of a print? And they said, what is this thing you speak of? Is that like the thing that is in the bathroom on the toilet paper handle? And I'm like, no, it's it's something you read. Um, so, you know, but the good news is that I don't have to worry about them taking my jobs in the future because they don't, literally don't know what print is. Uh, no. So, they, uh, no, there were these two young women and they were they were great. And it was kind of funny. I said, what are you here for? They said, we're here to cover the event. And I said, well, what are you covering it with? And they said, well, we only have our phones. So we're taking notes and we're using voice memos and stuff. And they did have a DSL with them and I was like that's cool and then they said yeah we didn't bring our laptops because Apple literally told us they described it as a field trip we thought we were going on a field trip oh and my. I was like oh Apple mm. secrecy uh, the opacity is just Apple starting so young use the word event they just yeah. won't do it <laughs> right right so Wait. uh 
Yeah, it was fun sitting next to them. But, you know, there were like there were actual educators in the audience and people on stage were wanting to talk about this. And we were in a school and we had a class schedule. So it was a little different from some of the other events we've been to where after an, a you know, series of executives speak on stage, we're like shepherded. We, you know, we have the opportunity to see these things in private meeting rooms. Right. Sometimes like that wasn't quite the same this time from, from going to these different classes, quote unquote. Did you get the impression that this is Apple's beautiful vision for a super wealthy high school that likes to think outside the box and like, you know, just, you know, like, like all the, all the kids call the teachers by their first names and they're very, (laughs) you know, advanced and different (laughs) and typically private schools or are these things that could fit into and augment like a typical regular public school classroom? Well, I think the thing to remember is that in some instances, There are a lot of instances where the school district has to pony up for these products in order to get them in classrooms. And there are other instances, too, where there's a lot of donating going on. Um, And so I don't think Apple is really thinking about it that way in terms of like this is for wealthy kids, even though the price point that we heard may convince a lot of people of that fact. I think they're really looking at this like we just need to be more classrooms. We need to be the thing that kids want to use the thing that they tell their parents and their teachers they want to use the thing that teachers find easy enough to use that it's not onerous to try to learn a new technology like as part of their professional development like and I think Apple like like I was thinking about this a lot and how we joked before the event like maybe it's going to be called the ePad yeah. right and like maybe it is going to be this very education specific thing where it has a different name it's called the ePad hopefully it ships with some type of keyboard maybe the the pencil is like mag- magnetized or there's a case for it so kids don't lose it cuz god knows that's going to happen like maybe there's something about this that actually is going to make it different and there wasn't and then i was thinking about that and i was like why wouldn't they just ship something called the ePad that had all this stuff and it's because for all of the people who have existing iPads or schools that have existing iPads, then you're creating a differentiation between the two things where like one sort of the education tool and one is, you know, really the education tool. And like at this point, they just need to be everywhere they can possibly be in education because they have lost so much ground to Google and Chromebooks. But that's, so I buy that argument. And I I actually really want to talk about the piece you wrote, Lauren, uh, specifically about Apple's like, Look at all the stuff you can do with an iPad that you can't do in a Chromebook because that was their message. But just on the hardware piece, that's like a pretty limiting way to think of it. Like, then you would never put out an ePad, right? Like, if you're just trying to make up ground, why not go at it? Like, that, that, that's what I kept on thinking of is like, why you would have to know that no student can just handle an iPad without a case, right? Like, you, you just can't do that. And lots of people I follow on Twitter, lots of other journalists, uh, who have children, we're all saying that if you're going to give a kid an iPad, the first thing you have to do is put it in this massive rugged case. Like, step one. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, like, why don't you just make that product, right? That instead of making this beautiful iPad that is, you know, fairly delicate, why not just make it more rugged? Why not make a product that is geared to education that is specialized for a particular kind of market? And then if people fall in love with their iPads when they graduate, they can buy a nice app, iPad. Like, I don't, that to me is, I, I don't know why they wouldn't make that choice or if they're just going to stick with the same iPad they've been going with, why they wouldn't lower the price further. Because if they're saving, all, they've already done all the tooling, most of the parts are the same. If they're just trying to make up ground, why not lose the margin and just make up the ground? This is a really good question. And I actually want to ask Dieter this question because 
he was telling me, we were talking about the EMAC yeah, last right. week. <laughs> and what happened with the EMAC? I mean, that's basically what they did with that. Yeah. Right? And then it lasted for one generation and then they let it go. Right. And then just start, everybody started buying iMacs instead. It's funny. Like, I think Apple maybe believes that one, I mean, this, the price is two ninety nine for schools, but that's actually not really true. If like schools are buying a lot of these, they'll find some deal that'll bring the price down more, but they're still going to have to spend money on those cases for sure. I don't know why they wouldn't make another SKU. It's expensive. Like they do have to build these things at scale. And so build, building a whole other body for it is a whole other thing to well, support. Well, not a huge scale. Let's, just, let's be honest. They don't have to build okay, them. Right. <laughs> any, like, they don't have to build them at iPhone scale. They don't have to build right. them at iPad scale. Right? Like, and it's not like Apple doesn't have money. It's like Apple wants to win at the education market, but they aren't willing to do, like think of why Google Google doesn't just win because Chrome OS is is a good operating system. It's because the computers are $150. Right, and they're kind of Well, and the yeah. management thereof are is really good. Like well, Apple, sure. I mean this gets into Lawrence piece a little bit, but like Apple really made the case that like there's a lot of stuff you can do in an iPad that you can't do in a web browser, but one thing you can do with Google stuff is like uh, if I'm running a little independent charter school and I've got, you know, 200 students and I can't afford an IT budget, um, it's way cheaper and easier for me to like just let Google handle a bunch of that stuff. And like you can set up the classroom stuff, you can set up the, the G Suite, blah, 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 blah. Um, with Apple, you need like Jamf or Cisco. You need a you need a MDM, a mobile device management thing next to Apple's management software. And the, the, li- the, lo- the load for like, setting that up is, in fact, I think, a little bit higher than it is on an iPad. Um, maybe the answer that we're just circling around and refusing to say is that uh, it would offend Johnny Ive's sensibilities, and he doesn't want to do it. <laughs> Probably. All right, so, Lauren, let's talk about your piece, because we, we kind of walked right up to it. They made a very specific case for the iPad, which is basically you're a video editor now. Like, what what was your takeaway with that? Clips. Like, like, they showed clips. 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 That said, I've not seen many other people using clips. And on stage, Apple was like, look, you can use clips to make videos in class and isn't this great but they're aside from that they talked about ARKit we we saw at least three new apps that are utilizing ARKit including one where you can dissect a frog in this AR app uh, using pencil so the idea is like you don't have to you know, I wrote in the, the live blog, like, save the frogs, right? Like, <laughs> you, don't have to worry, you don't have to worry if you're that kid who's, like, definitely going to pass out in biology class from dissecting a frog. Uh, we saw other instances, like, people using uh, Swift to program, uh, you know, drones and Sphero balls. I saw Tim Cook do this uh, with Swift on an iPad. Uh, we, I saw, like, what was the other stuff? Um, they showed, like... Some big, oh, garage band stuff. Yeah, we yeah. saw that as well. So this, there was this big emphasis on create. And for people who have followed Apple for the past 40 years, you kind of know that Apple already has this relationship with creative types and people who like like to make movies and make music and things like that. But if you've been born in the past 20 years, like that history means nothing to you, right? You're a person who's just like, hey, I, I log into my $150 Chromebook at school and I, I go into the G Suite and get the notes that my teacher left. So... What Apple's really trying to do is make this appeal to 
sort of this idea that multimedia is the way that kids are learning in classrooms now. And oh, by the way, we have an A10 Fusion chip in this thing. And oh, by the way, we have this, you know, this framework for AR. And oh, by the way, this tablet has a high resolution camera. So you can do that with this, but you can't do it with a Chromebook. I mean, that was the whole subtext of, of the event. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Or like, almost the, the text text. <laughs> I mean, I know so many teens who just want to be like Instagram influencers or vloggers when they grow up. Mm-hmm. And those aren't the tools that those people use. Like no one is an iPad Instagram influencer. If you are one, please tweet at me. I'd like to write an article about you. (laughs) (laughs) Fact. And if you are, you know, the super high end vlogger who's making all of their stuff on an iPad, also let me know. That seems interesting to me. But that's like a there's a big delta there between Apple saying you're going to learn how to create here and do all this creative stuff on, on this platform, on this product. And what what these kids are actually consuming and how it's actually made. I would say art. A lot of drawing is done on on tablets now, and a lot of music is done on iPads specifically. I mean, so there's something in a world there. where Android, Windows, and Chrome don't exist. What Apple announced today for students is the most amazing shit ever. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, right. I would have killed yeah. to have this product. But like, if you have a yeah. if you have a Chromebook, let's say you need to edit an image. Oh yeah, then you're hooped. <laughs> <laughs> like there is a slight amount of multimedia that is almost a bare minimum now. Yeah, you know, it's funny. My um, my niece and nephew go to a fancy school in Chicago. Um, in their school, just gave them surfaces. Oh, and like wow. part, part wow. of the part of, and I was like, this is. Wow, you must hate these children. No. So they love these surfaces, and the reason is because they are real computers. That's and the, and the school's reason that they communicated to like my sister and my brother-in-law was we want them to be proficient with Excel. We want them to be proficient with Microsoft Word, like the actual tools that when they enter the workforce will be what they are presented with, which I think is really interesting because – if you if you run your business on pages and numbers, <laughs> let me know. I, d- I don't think we're going to write an article about you in that case. But I'm just like sort of curious what that's like for you. I want to see a biopic of a kid who is like a numbers prodigy and he shows up to work his first day. He's got to learn Excel. But, you know, he's got all these ideas popping around in his brain from his numbers life. <laughs> he's using numbers. So yeah. uh, in, also in the area of anecdotal evidence um, – my niece and nephew are, uh, you know, three, four years apart, three and a half years apart. Mm-hmm. And my nephew uses a keyboard, like, and he's in, he's in Google's suite of apps. And like, I've seen him do his homework and that's what he's using. And then my niece is just all about her iPad and like making Instagram videos. Um, so one of the analysts I spoke to, um, he's uh, this guy who covered his name's, what is his name? Trace Erden. He covers the education market. He made an interesting observation, which is for older kids, the keyboard still matters. And those types of you know collaboration apps and productivity apps matter when you get to a certain age. Um, but for younger kids, the way that they're just consuming and learning and doing things right now is largely video-based. And so the question is whether or not generations who have just literally grown up with an iPad um, from the time they're tiny little babies, if that just is going to make more sense for them than is the way they're going to learn and make stuff, uh, or if they're eventually going to grow out of that and say, I need, I need more, you know, I need, I need Excel, not numbers. I need to be that math prodigy who uses like 
real, I don't know. I'm sad we're not having twins now because I would give one baby an iPad oh, and the other whole one. A-B <laughs> test. <laughs> we're just going to have to give her one. Study. What are we going to do? I think that's a good point, Lord. Like, there's just this aspect of, or I don't know if this is the point you're making. Some people want to do different things. Yeah. Like expecting yeah. all your kids to uh, at a school to have the same method of expression or the same interests or the same way that they want to work is well. So y- optimistic, y- Paul. You wrote a, a piece today about the Xcode cliff, which is what you're calling it. Mm-hmm. So I let me. I want you to talk about that, but let me just frame this in the, in the terms of GarageBand, yeah, which is really interesting. So lots of professional musicians just use GarageBand. They make their demos in GarageBand. Um, and then when you graduate from GarageBand, there's a chance you will graduate to Logic. And the way Logic works is much more complicated than GarageBand. But it maps. Like there's like a – you sort of understand what you're doing. Mm. That is really not true of like iMovie to Premiere. Like the way iMovie works is not, not deeply really. weird. I like – it's intuitive – Right, like if you've never heard of video editing before in your life, maybe you will understand it better. But maybe the fundamental storytelling, maybe maps. But it's funny. Yeah, no, I agree with you though. It's like Final Cut Pro and Premiere are comparable, but iMovie is like, yeah, it's just some other wacky thing. Yeah, and so to me, I read Paul's piece today about Swift Playgrounds, and Apple has a huge Learn to Code initiative Mm. that's centered kind of around Swift Playgrounds, and then there's this huge gap between that and like what you would actually do. By the way, I went to Apple's Learn to Code thing and maybe I'm missing something, but there's just like links to download some ebooks that they released in 2017. <laughs> they also, you into iBooks? <laughs> I signed up to be a, a quote-unquote teacher for their curriculum for how you teach kids using the iPad. All ebooks. It's just a bunch of iBooks that Apple has written. Yeah. Like I don't know. That seems old-fashioned of a way to learn how to do things these days, but what what do I know? Well, t- talk about the Xcode cliff for a minute, because it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's a pithy turn of phrase. I know. I'm really mm-hmm. proud of yeah. it. That was mostly what <laughs> I was proud of. The basic idea is that Apple has Swift Playgrounds, which is wonderful and beautiful, and, and it introduces new programming concepts and lets you play around with them in a really... Uh, intuitive and and in a very simple way. You don't have to do a lot of typing because basically there isn't a lot to, there isn't a ton of flexibility, especially er, in the early lessons. So basically there's like four different functions. And so they just pop up as suggested things to type. So you do these coding lessons, you learn Apple's Swift programming language and you like move a, 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 a cool character around or you solve problems and there's lots of great stuff. But my, my thing is that I listened to a lot of interviews with programmers, and the way they learned to program was typically something that was very difficult. And if 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 you learn easy programming, I'm not certain. I think it will introduce you to certain concepts, and maybe you'll have an easier time when you try hard "quote unquote" real programming. But but Xcode is obtuse and difficult. People who use it professionally hate it. It crashes all the time. Good luck configuring your app correctly to submit it to the App Store. Oh, you need seven different icon resolutions for all the different Apple screen sizes. You know, and, and then also there's just the, the whole structure of an actual app. Uh, there's a lot of scaffolding and knowledge and design patterns that go into it. The, the, the way people recommend 
how to become an app developer is to go to iTunes U and download the Stanford course on iOS development. This guy's been doing it for a long time. And it's a ton of knowledge. And it's it's a college-level course, and it's very difficult. And just Swift Playgrounds is an on-ramp to coding, but it does not seem like an on-ramp to actually building apps for Apple's ecosystem. Yeah. And I think that, in summary, it's, it's an iPad. It's an iPad. <laughs> Can I tell you my favorite story about GarageBand being used by professional musicians? Yes. Uh, Umbrella, the Rihanna song. Ooh. You know that super famous drum beat? Mm-hmm. Uh, that is Vintage Loop 03 from GarageBand. No way. Tricky, tricky wow. just slowed it down. <laughs> That's a fact. He was just screwing around. I think he was probably using Logic, but it's just a default loop in GarageBand. And that's like that's pretty great. You can be a kid and you can just like make that a garage band. I mean, you have wonderful. to like be very talented and know Rihanna, but like, well, that's what I think is interesting with, with, with both with garage band. <laughs> like, Apple, Apple's new music program. Everyone can know Rihanna. So, yeah. so maybe that's why you should pursue the Instagram influencer <laughs> angle on this. It'll get you further. There is something with with garage band and iMovie. Even if you aren't learning the pro tools. What's important in music? It's not, do you know how to use VST plugins? It's having- It's knowing Rihanna. It's knowing Rihanna. <laughs> it's definitely knowing Rihanna. And having taste and musicality. Right. And same with you know film, with video editing, it's are you a storyteller? Do you understand the, the basics of editing? And so I think you can get a, a way more mileage out of those in, as part of the learning process than with Swift Playgrounds, which is, is a sandbox and you- you can't make anything that you can deliver to other people. You, you're, so therefore, you're not challenged to finish something or make something good. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it's vintage. Can I make one more observation, too? Yes. Which is that sometimes I think when it comes to Apple and Google, we tend to look, we tend to think about it like an either or thing. And this is actually not an either or thing. I mean, Apple does need to sort of you know, get its footing back in the education market. And Google has done a tremendous job over the past five years of really gaining a foothold in classrooms. But like people can still use an iPad and use Google's apps on it, right? And Google, at the end of the day, probably cares more about getting millions of kids using its apps than it does about selling cheap Chromebooks. And I've talked to teachers who have said, yeah, we have both in the classroom. There are Chromebooks, and then sometimes you see kids using the tablets, or there are two tablets in the back of the room, and the kids can like sign up and take turns to go use the iPads, you know. So I guess that's just a way of saying, like, yes, I think this was Apple's approach um, or Apple's attempt to, like, you know, get people excited about Apple in the classroom, but the two can coexist in the classroom as well. Yeah. My my cynical read on that is they had this iPad to put out and they realized that if they didn't have a really good hook for it, they they couldn't right? Like because they had pencil support. So it's like enough. But that's like very cynical. I agree. I actually agree. So many with you kids I think gonna... they are actually committed to this. Like they seem very sincere. The next day, Dieter and Lauren went to uh, back to Lane Tech to see Kara Swisher uh, and Chris Hayes interview Tim Cook yep. mm-hmm. in the gym. Ooh. Uh, I won't spoil it, but there's some coverage of it on the site. That's you can watch that on MSNBC April sixth. But like they're actually committed to it, right? Like Tim Cook during that interview talked about education. Then he dunked on Mark Zuckerberg, which I thought was important. Um, and, and Jeff Amazon. Bezos, yeah. <laughs> And Amazon. But we'll talk about it in a second. Uh, Russell Brandon is going to join us. I'm going to read this ad, and then we'll have Russell here. This episode of The Virtual is brought to you by Mattress Firm. Here's one question for all of the I'm going to listen to podcasts to help me fall asleep people. You sure are going to fall asleep right now? 
If you answered yes, you're in luck because we have one tip for how you can zonk up more easily. That tip, as you might have surmised, is the purchase of a new mattress. From Mattress Firm, America's neighborhood mattress store. It lets your budget stretch further when you're looking for ways to improve your sleep. They are more than mattress experts. They have the whole package that helps you transfer a mattress into a bed from adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor. They have you covered literally and figuratively. So go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening right now as I read the sentence to you. They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial guarantee to ensure perfection and 120-night low price guarantee. So you need to pay the perfect price. Again, go to mattressroom.com slash podcast to learn how your sleeping could be monumentally improved with the purchase of a new mattress. And if you're still awake, uh, this is going to happen again now. All right, Russell Brandom is here. Who's excited to talk about data privacy regulation? Well, I'm going to try to frame it in the context of like tech giants battling it out. Oh, yeah. So we were good. just talking about Lauren and Dieter went to see Kara Swisher and Chris Hayes interview Tim Cook yeah. in Chicago uh, for their new show, Revolution. Uh, here's April 6th, by the way, that interview on MSNBC. Um, and at one point they asked Tim Cook, what would you do if you were in Mark Zuckerberg's position? And oh, he answered yeah. very saltily, I would never be in that situation, which is incredible. Yeah. I mean, I actually, so I was arguing with someone about the, the someone on Twitter, Noah Cullen actually was talking about how he was sort of envisioning a turn against Amazon the way there's been a turn against Facebook. Mm -hmm. And I was like, as you think of them, there are just very few companies that actually sort of live the startup dream where like a 22-year-old is suddenly like running this massive world-shaping thing. Like that actually doesn't happen. Like that's certainly not been Tim Cook's experience of the world. Like he <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> was really like a corporate rate. Like He worked at Compaq. Yeah, and like- Bezos was a banker. Like, these are all, like, very grown-up people. And so, I, I don't know. I mean, this is, like, totally derailing. But, like, genuinely, Tim Cook would never be in that situation. <laughs> like, really, truly, he would have, like, formed a risk committee and been like, we'll have a blue ribbon commission on. And, like, done the boring corporate things that you do to defuse that. Anyway. Yeah. So, the reason I'm asking is Facebook is doing a bunch of stuff now. Yeah. Uh, they rolled out new privacy tools uh, a couple days ago, yesterday. You know, they're they're, they're adopting this posture of... A feeling very um, like they're like they're the victim, like they were yeah. they were tricked by Cambridge Analytica, and then also being very apologetic and being like, "Here's all the stuff you can do." They're rolling back some of the data sharing they're doing, and one of the sort of hotter takes out there is they're just being opportunistic because they have to do all this stuff anyway because of this massive European privacy law that mm. goes into effect in May called the General Data Privacy Regulation. or uh, the Protection. Data Gen Protection Regulation. Yeah. General Data Protection Regulation, the GDPR. Yeah. If you have not been following some of the spicier ad tech executives on Twitter, <laughs> you may have never heard of the phrase GDPR. When you say spicier, like how spicy are we talking about? I mean, the, I mean there are some extremely spicy ad tech people <laughs> on Twitter. It's actually hilarious to me. And they love attacking Facebook. But it's out there. It's a big deal in Europe. And it is affecting companies in the United States. They're making yeah. some changes. Slack recently made some changes too. But Facebook is in this position where Tim Cook, you know, in, in an interview with Kara, said it's it's past time. We need some well-crafted regulation about this stuff. Zuckerberg on CNN said maybe it's time to regulate. We need some well-crafted regulation. And I see that, and it's all in the shadow of, well, there's this massive regulation about to hit you. Yeah, see, this is what's kind of weird to me about it, where, like, I think we've framed the conversation in like, should tech be regulated? Mm -hmm. Which seems like an insane question to me because like it matters what the rules are, right? 
Like, yeah. shouldn't we be talking about what we want, like what government controls would make sense here and what would – as opposed to just being like there should be a law of some kind <laughs> like concerning Facebook. Yeah. Like I don't know. So I mean that whole bit is like maybe we could be regulated. Maybe law would be appropriate hypothetically. Yeah. Like I don't know. I mean there is, by the way, this like – actual ad disclosure law, Klobuchar Warner, which Casey has written a ton about, that would regulate ad disclosure and Facebook is sort of quietly fighting tooth and nail against. And in today's sort of big talk about what they were doing about the election, they definitely declined to endorse it. They sort of don't want to say that they think it's a bad idea, but they're really not saying it's a good idea. So, they're interested in regulation in the abstract, but like yeah. certainly the regulations that are available in the U.S. Congress, they are not like thrilled about. What's that law called? Klobuchar Warner. I may be mispronouncing her name, but it's the Honest Ads Klobuchar. Act. Klobuchar. Klobuchar. There you go. And it's the You're Honest. Minnesota girl. I mean, I got to correct you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's the Honest Ads Act. It's basically just, you know, if you run a campaign ad, put it in this Dropbox folder, and then people can go to the Dropbox folder and look at all the campaign ads. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be some ugly website, but I mean, this is also what journalists love because then we can go and look at them and, and you know, when a new one hits, sort of write articles about it. You know, it's funny because when Zuckerberg was interviewed by this sort of struggling print magazine called Wired, um, <laughs> uh, he actually mentioned the Honest Ads Act. Yeah. And it sounded, he sounded very positive about it, but they're, they're actually fighting against it. It's weird. Well, that's, they, they sort of don't want to, I mean, again, like, I think there is a bit of a two-step, like, uh, a lot of people were talking about like when he was on his interview tour, was he really being totally straightforward about the efforts of the company? Uh, and I think they're being anyway, they're being purposefully hard to pin down on it. But like at this big event they had, someone asked, so are you supporting this act? And they sort of said a lot of words that weren't yes or no. Yeah. So that sounds like they're not supporting it. Like, okay. So that's the vagary anyway, of the yeah. United States. And that's this is what I mean. There's all this vague stuff happening in this country. Yeah. But Facebook is making real changes. Amazon yeah. is making real changes. Smaller companies like, well, I guess Slack is kind of a big company. Yeah. But Slack is making oh, real yeah. changes because they're being regulated in Europe in very specific ways. So explain to us what the GDPR does. Okay. So basically it has to do with companies that are dealing with personal data. So we talk about it a lot in the context of ads, like that's when we're talking about Facebook and Google and even Slack. Um, but like, it's really anyone dealing with personal data of any kind. So I filled out the form to, to buy my Everlane shirt and now they know my name and my phone number and my IP address and like anyone dealing with a user accounts. Where does that information go? What are your responsibilities when it's breached? What are your partner's responsibilities when it's breached? Uh, and so it sort of deals with that. The most tangible thing is that you have to be able to download it. So you can sort of go to, you know, Facebook and say, I'm an EU citizen. Give me all of the data that you have concerning me, Russell Brandom. And then they you know, you file the request and they go into their archives and they say, okay, here's the Russell Brandom file. And, and so, I mean, this is something you can do not as an EU citizen now, but I think it is pretty clearly something that everyone is having to develop this feature 
because the GDPR asked for it. And I mean, and it's a good example where they say, look, if we're going to develop it for the EU, we might as well just develop it for everyone. Like it's going to be too much of a pain to distinguish between EU people and US people. Uh, And then also the... Wait, just to be clear. So Facebook has this now. Yeah, yeah. You can do it. I did it a lot. We were talking about like who found interesting stuff. But a lot of other sites just don't. Right. Google yeah. has takeout. Google has had takeout for a while, although takeout doesn't include like all of the things, all of your like advertising tags, like Russell's into Thundercats. So we're going to send him a bunch of Thundercats ads like that's not really that's not Google takeout is like we have this is information that you've given to Google as like a information store almost. Uh so it's a little different, although you can see how something like this could be built into takeout. And, and Google actually has a lot of that information on a separate page where they're like, look at your account settings. Um, I mean, yeah, Google. I'm, I'm just thinking yeah. of your average e-commerce. You, oh, Everlane. yeah, totally. Like you log into Everlane. There's not a button. It's like download all of the data about yeah. what shirts you're targeting based on your interest tracking. Totally. But now they have to do that in your. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just I want to. Interrupt here for just a second and say that I, Russell's always been a mysterious person to me, but now that I know that he's into Everlane shirts and Thundercats, he's yeah. like an open book. I totally get Russell now. <laughs> Nailed it. So now you can target advertising at <laughs> him. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're going to scrape the transcript of this yeah. and say, uh, yeah, I mean. So that's one. What else do they have to do? So there's also the consent mechanism is a lot more serious. So they have to. Uh, they have to be much more explicit about what they're collecting, what they're using it for, and they have to give you a chance to revoke the consent. So if you say, look, I don't want to, you know, I don't want my Android phone to track my location anymore. I revoke my consent to that. They need some plan about what to do, which is actually sort of a hard, and they can't penalize you for not doing that, which is sort of a hard question because a lot of these services are built on having that so like if uber doesn't know my location how does it know where to send the car and how is it like i mean i can type it in but are we sure that that's not it penalizing me for not sending my location but also how do you like they just don't have my location (laughs) like how are they gonna do the thing um so there's a lot of stuff like that but i mean i think and this was part of the punchline of the of the piece we had on the site this week was i think the really weird thing is not just the people collecting the data and sort of the services you know about but all the other people that they end up sharing it with, which is a completely hidden part of the modern internet ecosystem and is like pretty gnarly under the hood. Um, I mean, any, anyone who's sort of installed one of those cookie trackers and you see like 80 of them, if you go to kind of a sketchier site, sometimes you can see the number going up as it like reloads things. <laughs> so it's like, I'll, I'll put my computer on and I'll leave and it'll come back and it'll be like 200. Um, well, all of those sites now have to do the same thing where they say, okay, like I'm, I need this data because I'm providing this service and that service is mandated under this contract with the provider. And then all of those contracts have to be rewritten and they have to, they're really difficult issues. Like, okay, if you're sharing your data with someone and they're doing a, they're doing something with it and then they get breached, how much of it is on them and how much of it is on you? And by the way, all the fines are going to be way higher. Yeah. These sound, by the way, like questions that we should be asking. They might oh, be yeah. hard problems. Maybe we problems should have we answered should these solve, questions. Right? Like maybe we should have answered these questions before we built so, all of the stuff. So but to, here we are. Let me try to map this onto Cambridge Analytica, which is oh, in the yeah. news, right? So Facebook has your data. Yeah. I think technically under the GDPR, they're known as a controller. 
Is that correct? Uh, there's like there's all this terminology. Well, I am not a lawyer. Well, also the question of who's a controller. Google wants to be a co-controller with the ad, which the ad tech people so are the, really the mad main about. One and then, is yeah. The, the main one is you're the control. You've got the data. Yeah, that's like Google. Like I give my data to Gmail when I use Gmail. They're the controller of so my that, data. That's the yeah the, the base of this pyramid. Yeah. Well, it's more like the top. It's of like this. the drummer in the band. Sure. <laughs> uh, wow. And then the, the guitarist yeah. comes over and borrows his drumsticks. This, yeah. This doesn't quite track. But Facebook is the main one. You give them your data. Yeah. And then someone writes an app for Facebook. They collect a bunch of data off of Facebook users. Yeah. And then they mine your the friend list for likes. So in the GDPR, you would have to be able to ask Facebook, hey, did that company take my data? And you'd have to be asked, ask that company, what data do you have on me? Yeah, I mean, I suspect, and again, this is like a weird thing that Facebook is going to have to deal with, and who knows what solution they'll come up with, but I suspect in that case, you would really get more like, I don't know this guy, uh, sort of anti-liability stuff from Facebook when you signed up to the app. Like, they would flash you with some scary screen that's like, hey, we take no responsibility for anything this person does with the data. You are sharing them this, this, and this. They've agreed to use it for this purpose, but also haven't agreed to do this, this, and this. And like, if you want to revoke it, here's this special website for you to go to. But now it's just between you and Cambridge Analytica. I mean, I, I don't know. that. So the, the question of apps on platforms is like a, maybe going to be unresolved throughout this whole thing. One of the things that Tim Cook talked about yesterday that Lauren wrote about in her piece that we like, we actually talked about how much should we tease this out or not. We ended up like, we, it's in there, but we didn't like try and explain it because we weren't fully sure what he was dog whistling was whenever Tim Cook got asked a question about regulation and privacy, he'd say, yeah, you know, I'm against regulation, but I think it's time. And then he at least twice went into this thing about how the thing that truly scares him isn't a single company knowing something about you. It's a, it's a company having its information and then being able to connect it up with what another company knows which, with what another company knows. And the, it's the connections between these different data sets that terrifies them. And this, this well, does Tim like Cook live in a world related of pure terror? Because that is happening <laughs> right now. Right. I mean, well, that's what Facebook revoked today. That's what right, Facebook so turned I, off today. Yeah, but I'm wondering if it's related in some way to this I, this question of like who's the controller, who actually ends up being responsible for it. Because it's not just which company has your data, because your data is actually lots of companies, and it's it's the companies talking to each other that seems to be like the the really difficult issue. Well, yeah, and well, so just this, this idea is, that yeah. the profile of you becomes so incredibly detailed, it's you know it's an aggregate, and then it's like they really know everything about you. Yeah, but I mean, I guess the the interesting thing in the background of this to me is that like the friction that the GDPR is adding in this whole process is when companies partner with other companies, right? Well, what if we just what if everything all the ads were just Facebook and Google? Like we could do that. It's kind of headed that way anyway. So, problem solved. You don't even need any contracts. It's all the same company. You shared it with Google. Google uses it what what's the, what's the big deal? And I think and also I mean if you're really worried about the mosaic, then there's no mosaic. It's just what Google has. Are you, you describing mosaic, the web browser that turned into Netscape? That <laughs> okay. Microsoft. And, you mean the mosaic no, of data? Is, well, yeah. And in in uh, this is a national security law thing where there'll be like there's I can't explain what my probable cause was for searching this 
alleged terrorist's phone because it's really a mosaic unless you have all the data then no individual pe- it's like a whole weird anyway uh <laughs> all of this sounds terrible. there's a mosaic theory of, of data that they anyway the point being this is like if you are the ceo of a large tech company as tim cook happens to be uh this is in some ways like a nice answer for you to give because the terrifying thing is all these scrappy little ad tech firms who like really are in many cases, just criminals. Like the, a lot of their stuff doesn't work. It's really a complete mess. Like I don't trust them. But also, and, and like there is, you can point at them and say like these are this is these are all people doing very scammy things. But if okay, then we'll just let Google and Facebook do all the advertising on Apple products and like problem solved. Can I ask a, a point of clarification? There's because it sounds like this law makes it so they have to be very explicit when they want your data. You yeah. have to like give yeah. them explicit permission. But there's there's uh, especially for ads. There's a lot of data that's gathered based on my behavior. Mm, like yeah. I clicked here. I scroll down here. Maybe I didn't scroll this far. You know, yeah. like, there's a lot of knowledge that companies have on me that's just based on my behavior. It's not like I'm entering a form like, what's your favorite color? Oh, yeah. Your, what's your favorite car brand? That'd be know? amazing if that's how advertising works. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you'll just get a pop up that says, while you're on this site, we're going to collect various sort of ambient signals about your browsing behavior. You know, click to agree. Ah. And then, and then that will be data that's held by is that whoever's be running the site. Or stacked on top of the cookie disclaimer. <laughs> oh no! Yes. It's, this is exactly like the cookie disclaimer, and and this is one of the other interesting things. So, how often do you really see the cookie disclaimer? Because it's supposed to be, it's another thing where it's really about EU citizens, like mm. U.S. people. They can just give us cookies. There's no law against it. We're completely out there having random things installed on our computers. Right. The reason you see it is they're not sure if you're a U.S. citizen or an EU citizen, or they just don't really want to bother configuring their website in no, such a way that— they could be sure. Cookies. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. But so if you go – if you're using a German VPN yeah. and you're off browsing the web, you'll see it a lot. And so there is – this is one of the other weird things where – does this lead us to a place where people are seeing meaningfully – people are like experiencing a meaningfully different internet? Especially because data collection – you know, people don't just do this to be evil. Like they're they're sort of performing real services with this data. And so if there's some data that's much harder to get from the EU, then there are also going to be services that are maybe harder to get. And, and sort of are we seeing the, the – unregulated and the regulated internet start to split off in some more profound way. I think that's a good place to leave it. (laughs) (laughs) A terrifying vision of the future from Russell Brandon. Thank you, Russell. I am going to read one more ad, and then Tom Warren is going to join us, and we're talking about what happened to Microsoft. This episode of The Verge Cast is brought to you by Dollar Shave Club, which delivers to you everything you need to look, smell, and feel your best. Shampoo, body wash, and toothpaste. And, of course, razors. That's yeah. the next line in the copy. They're great razors. You get an amazing, high-quality shave every morning from Donald Shave Club Executive Razor. But the true hero of any morning routine is the Dr. Carver Shave Butter. It helps the razor gently slide across your skin. They insist that you experience it. But the real must-have experience is how Dollar Shave Club delivers everything to you. That means no more trips to the store, wandering the aisles, hunting for razor, shampoo, toothpaste, and then having to play at being a cashier, scanning and bagging your own stuff. So for a mind-blowing experience, join Dollar Shave Club today. And for $5 with free shipping, you'll get the six-blade executive razor plus trial sizes of shave butter, body cleanser, and one wipe at Charlie's. 
and then you can keep the blades coming for a few bucks more every month. Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash verge. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash verge. That's $5. Five. Not $5 off. Five dollars. Dang. Paul. Mm-hmm. Every week, you do a thing. Mm-hmm. What's it called this week? Oh, it's always called the same thing. <laughs> All right. It's always called the same thing. Did you just call him Nikki? Yeah, Nikki. Nikki, every okay. week you do something. It's called The Little Robot That Could. It is about the most adorable. It, it's a whole situation. So there's this robot that can move trailers up to like 9,000 pounds. But the robot looks like a tiny little, it's got like a couple of tank treads. The robot is smaller than the, the chassis of a push lawnmower. But it can move 9,000 pounds of trailer? Yeah. And so here's the thing. You're an old dad. <laughs> Come on, man. Okay. You're an old dad. I'm not calling you an okay. old dad. I'm saying imagine you're an old dad. You got your little remote control. It's basically an RC car, right? Yeah. You're driving this little robot around, moving your glistening Airstream trailer. Yeah. You just everybody needs to watch this video. What's it called? What what is this actually? It's called Trailer Valet RVR. Okay. It's RV robot. Why is it cute? <laughs> because it's a tiny little thing <laughs> that's moving a really big thing. Yeah. And this. I don't know. Do you? Um, my dad owns a trailer. Yeah. You know, he had to get a big truck to move it. I was always helping him park the trailer. Yeah. Like, it, you know. Now you get a little. So, and so watching this commercial, like, I think about my father. I think about the Bluegrass Festival that they attend every year, and there's a whole group of retirees. All right, you're off the rails, Nikki. That ride. Uh, <laughs> We're done the, with this. The, with the Airstream trailers, and now robots involved. It's, it's got great. a lot. It hits a lot of high points for me. I'm there. That was Paul's segment. Thinking about the Bluegrass Festival. <laughs> the little robot that could. All right. Tom Warren is here. Hello, Tom. Hello. How are you? Uh, I'm good. It's good to have you back on the show. Yeah, it's good to be on. So Microsoft announced a huge reorg today. It was co- like yeah. the coverage is all over the place. But we have one specific question for you. Okay. Fire away. Which division does Skype fall under now? Uh, the, well, it should be on the no division. It should be under the <laughs> burn it. Ah, is there anything better than Skype earlier? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say Microsoft reorgs every single time they redesign Skype. Ooh, so that's how you know like they're reorging. Oh, that's a, a good lot, bellwether. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, Tom, tell us what is going on with Microsoft because this seems like a massive shift. Terry Meyerson, he ran Windows for 20, or he's been at Microsoft for 20 something years. Yeah. Ran Windows for the past few years is out. So what is going on? Yeah, so so they're reorging. Obviously, that, that's the that's the big news. Terry's off in a few months, I think, and they're basically splitting Windows. Like you could say two or even three ways. They're splitting the core part of Windows off to sort of the cloud and AI division. So that's like the core operating system, the very fundamentals of how they build Windows as an operating system, and then like the shell. Um, experiences so the experiences that we care about like the you know start menu and notification center and everything else that you sort of see in windows um on the desktop and stuff um that's going to be handled under a new division i would say new but it's kind of like the same except they've just taken like the core engineering out of it um yeah exactly the same without like the fundamentals so so here's here's like i've been trying to figure this out tom and like my under, my metaphor for this is uh, there's Linux, 
And then there's the Linux desktop, yep. which like might be Ubuntu or Red Hat or some other like GUI on top of it. And so Microsoft is yeah. basically making a GUI team to make shells that can work on a tablet or a exactly. laptop or a phone or whatever. And then there's like yeah. the core of Windows, which uh, is 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 I don't even is, is it still called Windows? Yeah, it's it's called um, they call it like one core is like the the overarching okay. thing of it internally. But I think that the the more like without going getting into all that sort of like the nitty gritty of Windows is is more that they're sort of spreading Windows out within the company rather than it being like you know a figurehead thing for the company. It, well, you can look at the organization of it and pull that apart and see what they're doing and stuff. But I think ultimately it comes down to what Nadella's tr- been trying to do um, since he obviously took over from Bulma. Um He he knows where the growth is. He knows where this company's heading and that's you know that's a future where windows is no longer relevant and where it doesn't where people aren't using windows which i think is like is a shift but i think is they're having a realization that windows is probably not going to matter in sort of 15 20 years for, for sure you think it's that extreme that they they really think that windows client consumer windows is going to go away so they need to focus solely on cloud and AI. yeah I've, I think so. Um, I, I mean, it, it sounds extreme, but like when you look at what they've done, so when they first introduced Windows 10, um, I think Satya Nadella came on stage. It was that January event in like 2015, a few years ago. Um, he came on stage and he said that he wanted people to go from like choosing or like having to use Windows or choosing Windows to loving Windows. And I don't think they've necessarily achieved that goal in the last few years. Um, I think Windows is more respected um than it used to be but i don't i still don't think it's loved um i don't think it's like a necessary like it's delightful to consumers or anything it's a lot more polished than it's ever been they've done a lot of good stuff but a lot of the sort of consumer facing stuff that they've tried to get into they've had to like pull back from or just never really quite never really got a lot of traction what does it say about who microsoft sees as its biggest competition now because obviously in the consumer market like we talk a lot about apple versus microsoft but if as they, mm. I don't know, just sort of re-strategize and refocus around Azure and the cloud, does that mean that companies like Amazon and Google and other sort of enterprise or data storage companies are actually their biggest they're actually their biggest problem? Yeah, I think Amazon for sure is their is their biggest rival at the moment, and then shortly followed by Google, really, um, just because Google's like across all of their different businesses rather than. Amazon's kind of more on this on the server, like on the cloud stuff, whereas whereas Google really is attacking them on all fronts. So that Google's undermining Windows with you know arguably better product in many respects, Chrome OS um, for like consumers and students and stuff. It's just simple. Well, but also with Android, right? Like Android and Android, yeah, on the phone more used than Windows now. Yeah, yeah. But I think if you if you look back those three three years without the, the competitive stuff, you look back those three years and what they've done over those three years. One of the bold goals was to, to make Windows be loved again and it was also to get uh, windows 10 running on a billion devices now they 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 stepped back from the billion devices thing i don't know about a year or year or so ago but like if you think about their bold ambitions for a few years ago like this is quite a step away from that now splitting windows up internally is like the first sort of signal to me at least that that might that Nadella and Microsoft have really shifted towards this cloud and AI vision for the company. Um, and that Windows is just like the old thing of Microsoft. It's not, it's, it's not the future of Microsoft. Um, people who need Windows, they'll, they're still going to get it. Uh, they're still going to be supported and all that sort of stuff. But I think they're going to sh- try and shift more of that to cloud, more of that to subscription. It's funny because 
they also made Panos Panay the chief product officer of all of the hardware products, which is like a yeah, it's quite a title. It's it seems like a it was framed as like a step up. Um, yep. And yeah. then they created a new experiences and devices division, right? So that's like sitting there yep. too, and that was framed as like we're going to focus on this. But you're saying all of the action for Microsoft is in this sort of enterprise business. And it's funny, I was reading Nadella's note, and you should read it, it's like, interesting. But it is the single most corporate thing I have ever read in my entire life. Right. It, is op- it is opaque corporate speak, like literally nothing I've read from a CEO in the past five years. So just just to be clear, there's, as far as I can tell, there's just two divis- two main divisions and almost everything falls under these. There's experiences and devices, and then there's cloud and AI. And about cloud and AI, Satya writes, the purpose of this team is to drive platform coherence and compelling value across all layers of the tech stack, starting with the distributed computing fabric, cloud and edge, to AI, infrastructure, runtimes, frameworks, tools, and higher level services around perception, knowledge, and cognition. I'd like to point out that this was sent to all full-time Microsoft retail store employees as well. Ooh. It's like, how are you supposed to participate <laughs> in this? Uh, that's like, to me, you know, Nadella, uh, I think he's doing obviously a great job running Microsoft. Um, but his he used to run Azure. It was very clear when they selected him to the CEO that that experience would be what they would be leaning on. And that's that why he was selected. I think he is, when he wants to be, an extraordinarily plain-spoken person. Like I think he's a good CEO. He's obviously doing a good job running this company, but it's very clear that he he was not interested in addressing Microsoft customers with this note, right? Like this is a very corporate document for a very corporate set of changes, and I map that to what you're saying, Tom, about Windows. And it's like Microsoft is just kind of like, yeah, we're going to focus on this, and we're going to put out, you know, when it's time for a new service to come out, Panos will be on stage, and he's the person that you're going to look at. Is that does that seem about right? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Because um, they've put like the guy who's essentially replacing Terry. So here's another thing about this: is that so Terry was on the senior leadership team, so direct um, to sit down and talk to Nadella directly. So the guy that they're replacing him with is ex office, and he's he's not going to be on the senior senior leadership team. Um, wow. So that like shows that shows like the level of where Windows is at. In the company, I think like it's not it's not the treasure anymore. That's you know? uh, was it Rajesh Shah? Yeah, Rajesh. Yeah, and he's 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 in charge of experiences and devices. That's Surface, Hololens, their first party yeah. apps, Office, and Windows client and Skype. <laughs> Probably Skype, Skype is an experience. <laughs> so that guy's not even <laughs> that guy's not even a top leader of the company. Yeah, what happens to Xbox yeah, and all I, of this? Yeah, so Xbox they're leaving alone. So they, so just like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> that that's an experience and or a device. Yeah. <laughs> so the complicated bit of this is that Panos, you know where they say he's he's gonna be um I can't remember what his exact position is now, the Chief, Chief Product, product yeah. Chief Product Officer. Yeah. yeah, that's the one. But I remember f- a few years ago he was made like he stepped up into a bigger role that was leading like all the engineering and stuff on their premium hardware anyway. So that was like Surface, Xbox, Lumia, or whatever was left back then. Um, the band, 
if you remember that hololens and just all that sort of stuff so he's always kind of been doing this role he's just got a different name to it now so i don't really get like that do you um, think microsoft but, wants a relationship with consumers is this is surface and xbox and all that stuff important to them? like their businesses that are growing are massive they're growing yeah. pretty fast and these other businesses are very small and they're growing pretty slow like yeah. Do they want to be in the Surface game? Is that just it's nice and you know people who get Windows in the enterprise get Surfaces? I think I think Surface was a lot to do with this this trying to you know revive Windows the Windows that everyone loves sort of thing and I think that's like helped for sure um, the device stuff I don't know I don't know like it's a billion dollar dollar business for them but it's not even with the laptop when they announced that last year everyone thought it was you know. That was the thing that they needed to do. Um, but it hasn't bumped the revenue. So it's not been like this wildly successful product. And I think Microsoft's approach to like Windows 10 with like the cr- focusing on the creator stuff was kind of interesting. But then I don't know if they delivered it in a way that was meaningful to consumers, um, just to regular people. So, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say about the Surface stuff. Um, it's, it's there as like, a this is how you should make a Windows laptop, you know, for the OEMs. And I feel like that's kind of what where it was always sort of positioned as. They've kind of like tried to make it into a bigger business, but it's kind of been held back by, you know, the sales aren't quite as strong as perhaps it should be. Yeah, it's just so funny. You know, we started this whole episode by talking about what Apple is doing with the iPad. And Lauren was talking about how um, so much of Apple's messaging around it is like, you can be a creator with this. Microsoft tried to come. For Apple, especially is is you know that period where the Mac Pro kind of fell. I mean, there still isn't a new Mac Pro. They've promised one, but there still isn't one. Uh, there's a Mac Pro, but Microsoft tried to come for that market, and you're saying it, it just kind of didn't go off. Yeah, I mean, they did like 3D paint. Like they've done some good stuff, but it's for such um, niche audiences that it's like it's not it's not so broadly. I, 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 I think the the problem is is that a lot of that creation and a lot of that. Uh, creativity is just being bundled into mobile apps now. It's just being made a lot easier for people to do the sort of stuff th- that was really difficult. Even like five years ago, like making making videos and stuff, cute little videos you'd share on Facebook or whatever. That was that was a difficult thing, and it's just getting ever more ever more simplified. Um, and I think it comes down to also when you pick up a Windows machine, you're doing something very specific with it. Um, same with a Mac really these days as well and it's like I think I always think over the last year it's like could I switch to Chrome OS could I, sh- could I switch to an iPad and it's like what experiences am I missing and it's only and those are those are getting gradually smaller and smaller and I can't think of like desktop apps that are like really key um, outside of businesses and the enterprise um, and I think that's like the vast majority of Windows customers now is on that business side yeah it's just the kinship, like, if, if Apple for example, with the iPad Pro, if they put cursor support in it and they're going to do universal apps and stuff, you can see where it's heading. Yeah. Yeah, this is Dieter's whole thing. Like, this is Dieter's obsession is the future of these things. I got to say, Paul yeah. has an iPad Pro here, and the screen is really beautiful. Nice I'm jealous screen. of it every time I look at it's it. It's a nice screen, but you know what I go home to? A desktop PC that I built myself that I play video games on. So, like, yeah. is that just... Can't be that, yeah. Is that just such a tiny market? Like... It's not like five people play video games. Like almost everybody on Twitch is streaming from a PC. You know, like they're playing. Like it's a huge market of people playing video games on the PC that Microsoft completely owns. Is that just too too small for them? 
I think that's like that's still a big part of it. Um, I think on the consumer side, it, like gaming's like the one of the most you know the, the biggest part of um, Windows usage on the consumer side. But they've faltered on that a lot over the years as well. Like they've you have Steam, like you have a bunch of different clients for PC games and stuff, and um, Microsoft's not really unified those, and there's no like unified friend system. It's like it's a bit of a mess playing PC games, to be honest. Um, if you want to connect with your friends, um, and they haven't really made that platform like you know really nurtured it or anything so it's kind of like the games are just there because the dev tools are there and some of the users are there but it's like what happens when that hardware shifts and we're starting to see that but so tom give me the one set and sentence summary what what should people expect from microsoft now? i think we're going to see obviously windows updates and still focus big focus on windows over the next few years but i think in the next 10 years i'm not quite sure where the relevance of microsoft's windows you know operating system will be wow harsh a harsh place to leave the virtual yeah, but it's, <laughs> it's the reality of the competitive environment <laughs> all right it's true well thank you so much tom for explaining that to us because quite frankly i read that nadella memo five thousand times today and i still i got stopped at the fact that he capitalizes the word solution areas like, literally, my brain refused to further engage with this. Program. I am fairly certain that there are now five different divisions mostly dedicated to AI at Microsoft. You know what I'll point out in this memo, too? I'm just going to say it. Uh, there's a lot of names in this memo. A lot of people in charge. It's 20 dudes, zero ladies. That's ridiculous. It's true. It's like wild. It's utterly like, ridiculous. It's I'm going to send a note to Frank Shaw at this moment, <laughs> live Do on it. the Vergecast. You should. And then I'll let you know if I get a response before the end of this. Well, yeah, you have to get a response at the end of this because I'm not going to let you publish that at Wired. That's my intellectual property, Lauren. Every <laughs> email you send. <laughs> All right, that's it. We've gone a little bit too long. Thank you so much, Tom, for joining us. No worries. Uh, thank you to Russell for coming on two dark segments at the end here. No privacy and Windows is over, but that's how And then is. Lauren's leaving us. And then Lauren's leaving us. <sighs> I really Lauren. Want to this is awful. I don't, I can't, I have too many feelings to say anything coherent on a podcast. Neil, I yeah. do it. I'll do it. Lauren, it has been wonderful to work with you. Uh, I don't know if everybody realizes this. Lauren came to us as part of the Recode acquisition. So Lauren and Walt came and joined The Verge. I think that's been like a really fun experience for all of us here. And it's been just really fun to have you on our staff. And now it's going to be amazingly fun to just troll you and wire <laughs> every day of my life for the rest of my life. That's going to be great. But thank you so much. Lauren, Lauren I'm, I'm going to miss you too. Oh, thank you, Paul. You know what? But that's I it. Owe... Just the three of us. No one else. Just the three of you. No, I assume. <laughs> I assume. I owe a debt of gratitude to Dieter and Neilai, who brought me on board and gave me a lot of runway to do a lot of cool stuff here at The Verge. And Paul, I owe you a debt of gratitude, too, just for being you. Just for being <laughs> Paul. You know what? I told Paul, Paul and I exchanged very nice messages uh, last week. I'm not going to blow up his spot. But I said, Paul, I really appreciate the way you think. So stay true. And you know what? Just do whatever the hell you want. Don't listen to Dieter and Eli. That's my best <laughs> That's advice true. for you in life. That was Lauren's entire strategy. That's my best advice. <laughs> Lauren's like, I have a show now. It's called Next Level. I was like, great. Know thyself. You helped you help me name that show. You were part of the process. That's true. But anyway, Lauren. You know, it's, been, it's been really fun. The Verge is an amazing, amazing publication. I'll be listening to you guys. I'll be following you on the Twitter. And I will be generally cheering the success of the company um, even as I leave. That's true. And I'm sorry that in return you'll get nothing but 
No, it's not true. We have this like huge <laughs> class of expats, and I love watching everybody succeed. Do you know that Wired has a chef? In addition to its fine journalism. It's definitely not a hey, fucking pirate hey, ship. Hey, That's all I got to say. Hey, Can we get a chef? We're out of here. That's <laughs> no. it. That's the broadcast. We love you, Lauren. Good luck on your travels. Love you guys. Bye. Rock and roll. Paul. episode of the Vergecast was brought to you by IBM. By the end of this podcast, nearly 10,000 new malware variants will have been launched, but now AI can help protect your data from threats wherever it lives with IBM security. Let's put smart to work. Learn more at ibm.com smart.